Hey everyone, so welcome. My name is Benjamin Day. And I'm Jillian Mason. And this is the Medicare for All podcast, the podcast for everybody who needs healthcare, which is, is most people, as it turns out. Some people. Um, <laughs> so this week, uh, we're going to talk about, um, this is kind of part of a, a theme. Um, we're starting to talk about, you know, when we are able to get back to doing in-person organizing, which in some places of the country, it's safe to do if you do it safely. In some places, we still probably need to wait. But we're going to start talking more and more about the in-person organizing tactics that we're going to need to use as a movement to actually win Medicare for all. Um, and this uh, this episode, we wanted to talk about deep canvassing, um, which is, you know, it's actually a relatively new organizing tactic that kind of focuses on engaging voters in empathetic conversations. Is that how you say it? Em empathic? Empathetic? Empathetic. empathetic. Empath An empath um, is someone who knows your thoughts or whatever. <laughs> well, I think that would work too. Very effective as a door knocking uh, technique. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, use your use your fucking empathy is the is the term I was looking for. Yes. Um, and there's been all these studies showing that you know deep canvassing can be effective in reducing prejudice against marginalized communities. It can actually change voters' minds um, on issues like immigration and transgender rights. Um, so we want to talk about how effective deep canvassing is and also how can it be a tool in the fight for Medicare for all. So we are very excited to have a guest on this episode. Um, our guest is Lizzie Rutberg, who is a Boston-based activist and an experienced campaign organizer. She has first ex uh, first-hand experience with uh, deep canvassing from her work with the 2018 Yes on 3 campaign for trans transgender equality in Massachusetts. So Lizzie, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you all so much for having me. This is my first time being on a podcast. Um, oh. So I'm just happy to be here. You're killing it already. Yeah, <laughs> add it to your resume right away. Um, <laughs> we'll be references for you. Mm -hmm. uh, so I actually want to start, before we get into your experience deep canvassing, uh, Lizzie, I want to ask Jillian a background question, um, which is, you know, what were the origins of the deep canvassing model? I kind of alluded to it being new-ish. Uh, but where yeah. did this come, this, uh, this tactic come from? It's like new 2.0, right? I mean, so really this tactic comes from, you know, being human and having conversations like people have been having for millions of years. Um, have we been around for millions of years? I'm not really good with, <laughs> um, but right. Uh, you know, somehow we drifted into uh, we drifted into a kind of mode where political organizing is has become something kind of different, right, from the average you know conversations that we have with each other every day. And so, in twenty uh, in two thousand eight, right, um, there were some LGBTQ activists in California, um, specifically with the Los Angeles LGBT Center, um, and. Basically, uh, Prop 8, which was a really terrible uh, homophobic anti-trans law, um, it, you know, it really, uh, it passed and it was a terrible thing for California. So activists basically went door to door um, and they were trying to understand voters better, um, especially voters who were against marriage equality. Um, and this strategy was kind of revolutionary, um, this going back to a kind of really human way of talking to people um, and really like listening to people, having deep conversations, hence 
deep canvassing. Um, and then this strategy has become tremendously popular um, in all sorts of different, you know, sectors of the social justice movement. Um, and it's become popular also in other parts of the country where marriage equality was on the ballot. Um, if you wanted to check out a good overview of it, um, there is a really good article called With COVID-19 is Deep Canvassing the Key to Defeating Trump in 2020. It's a great article. No spoilers. They defeated Trump in 2020. So there you that go. That article would have so much mud on its face. If Trump <laughs> in 2020. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, anyway, it also um, includes the notable quote: "Jesus was a deep canvasser," um, <laughs> which is good to note. Which is good to note. Did anyway, I say so it was a new tactic? Uh, <laughs> I was mistaken. <laughs> Except for I the mean, biblical times. <laughs> exactly new, but newish. Um, so yeah, so I mean, that's a little bit about like where this idea of deep canvassing has come from sort of resurgence of uh, these kind of persuasive conversations. Um, and in Massachusetts, um, we were lucky enough to be smack in the middle of a really great deep canvassing campaign. Um, and so Lizzie did some really amazing work in organizing on that campaign. Um, so you were involved with this massive effort, right, um, as part of the Massachusetts Trans Rights Yes on Three campaign. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the campaign um, and how you got trained up to do this particular kind of tactic? Absolutely. Um, so the context of the ballot referendum, statewide ballot referendum, was um, in 2016, I think, um, state legislature passed, Governor Baker signed into law, um, a law that would give transgender people, non-binary people, gender non-conforming people, um, legal protections against discrimination in public spaces. So that's, you know, your libraries, the subway, um, the grocery store, anywhere that isn't home, work, school, um, restrooms but also you know every other space as well um very quickly afterwards um the christian right of massachusetts got a bunch of signatures um to get onto the ballot a statewide referendum for 2018 on whether we should keep that law in place or whether we should get rid of it and 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 trans people should just like not have the protections anymore um so I was blissfully unaware of all of this in August 2017. Um, I was having dinner with a friend of mine in Davis Square um, when a street canvasser came up to me um, and they were like, hey, um, did you know that your civil rights are going to be up for a statewide vote in 14 months? I was like, oh, shit. Oh fuck! <laughs> um, I didn't know that actually. My rights. Um, more likely than you think. Mm. Uh, I guess I better do something about that. Um, so, got on the email list, signed up for a canvas in Quincy in October 2017. Mm -hmm. Schlepped down to Quincy, Massachusetts, on the red line. Um, it was a really extraordinary experience. I still remember so many details about my first action. Um, part of 
what made their deep canvassing operation, their field program so effective was just the amount of effort they put into welcoming new volunteers, helping people mm. feel safe, mm -hmm. um, making it someplace where like people could be vulnerable and where um, trans people felt safe and respected no matter how they presented. Um, as uh, my presentation back in 2017. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought you were so great, but. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks Jillian. Um, maybe that was just the dysphoria talking regardless. Um, um, you know, I was a very nervous person. Um, so, you know, I go into the union hall where they were launching the canvas right as soon as I enter the room. Um, a volunteer named Pippin, who I would later um, become roommates with. Um, Love Pippin. Was like, hey there, welcome aboard, have a sticker, sign in, have, you know, have a name tag, put your name pronouns on it so people will know how to address you. Like, sit over there, wait five minutes, there will be a training. And it's like, oh man, I feel, you know, I know exactly what's going on here. Mm -hmm. um, the training itself was really brilliant. Um, it was almost an hour long, which um, is, I think, unusual in campaign spaces, but I think was necessary and helpful. Um, we start off with like introduction, um, give everyone a chance to tell their personal stories of why they're there, and then just um, really dive into the curiosity role play a conversation, have people rehearse it so that like they've seen it and done it before going out. Um, the most, am I talking too much? Can I talk about, can I just go into like, Oh, no, no, no. This is fascinating. This is totally yeah. fascinating. We want the blow by blow of the training, please. All, <laughs> all right. I'll go, so I'll go into the structure of the conversation we use. That's um, perfect, yeah. So we start with a like, one zero out of 10 scale, how likely are you to support these rights for trans people? 10 being like, oh yeah, absolutely. I'm not even thinking about it versus zero, like, die. Good, um, <laughs> good. Run at that point. <laughs> um, so once we got the initial answer, um, we asked someone, you know, why, why that is, you know, what sort of like favorable opinions you have about trans people or human rights or non-discrimination, what sort of like, um, yeah, sort of things might they be uncomfortable with, just sort of that curiosity. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, leading with lots of questions. Right, right, the questions, the delving into the psyche, um, being someone like I, the way it felt was sort of like being someone's therapist for about 10 minutes at a time about gender issues. <laughs> um, and then about halfway through the conversation, um, we had this little like Amazon, like Kindle, um, you know, product placement here on this fine podcast, um, <laughs> um that had a, like the video loaded up with a like, aggressive like trans misogynistic ad about like oh if trans people are allowed equal access to public facilities trans women are gonna rape your kids um some like you know real dangerous like scary like fear-mongering stuff so we would play that video for the voter so you're literally just standing there so we're like, like yeah 
showing them a video mm -hmm. that says that you're like less than a human being and are terrifying. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. What does that feel um, like? Um, I was, I, I was like pretty good. Um, after a couple of canvases, um, I honestly got like kind of dissociated from it. Um, so I was just like, well, time to show the video. Um, the few thoughts and feelings I have about the video, they are not surfacing right now. Time to show a video about, um, how they should, how voters should hide their children from me specifically. And what do you think the role of the, why do you think they had you do that? What was the it's, role it's of inoculum. the anti-video? It's inoculation. So, so I'd show them the video and I'd be like, yeah, okay. So this is something that some people say about, you know, this, this policy, mm -hmm. you know, what do you think about that? Do you like anything here that resonates with you? Um, and some people would be like, oh, that is obviously like fear mongering bullshit. I hate it. And I'd be like, tight, me too. Um, <laughs> and some people would be like, oh, you know, actually, I, I forgot that I thought this way. Yeah, no, this raises some points. And I'd, I'd be like, okay, yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, tell me more. Um, what, you know, specific things are you concerned of? What have you heard about? What, like, is it here that touches a nerve for you? And I'd, ha you know, sit back neutrally and, like, calmly. And as they would say, like, oh, you know, um... Um, you know, like trans women, they're fine, but men in dresses, that's where the problems arise. And so, you know, it's like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Um, and then I had a few sort of talking points and like tell my personal story from there and be like, and I'd say, you know, um, like, lest we forget, you know, um, this, this, um, this, this isn't, this policy isn't, you know, legalizing harming people. Mm, yeah. Like oh, and people would be like, oh yeah, no, you're right, it isn't actually. Or be like, yeah, I mean, you know, evidence shows from all the states where this was implemented that um, there isn't actually an increase in like assaults. Mm -hmm. um, and people would be like, oh, that's comforting. Um, yeah, there's mostly just an increase in trans people using the bathroom. Um, <laughs> and then, and then, you know, and then I tell my personal story about like, oh, I'm just a humble transsexual. <laughs> um, but but I guess what I learned from it, like that structure of conversation, is that if um, right off the bat, if it was a thirty second conversation of oh I'm here for this policy, it doesn't actually like like its evidence shows that it doesn't actually increase assaults. Will you vote for it? And people would be like. Ah. Right. And it would take it would take you know five to eight minutes of like real like curiosity and openness and vulnerability and intimacy of like you know it's not about facts it's about people's like core values and like life experiences and facts don't matter as much right um, and we had to delve through all of that before the facts started to like become effective. So I think that was one of the core lessons that I learned from it. Yeah, and I guess to to remind, because I assume all three of us have done canvassing that was not deep canvassing, that was kind of more traditional canvassing. Shallow canvassing. So, yeah. Shallow the, canvassing. <laughs> the superficial canvassing. But I mean, I think is still the dominant model of, of canvassing today. Mm -hmm. um, 
And just to remind people what that looks like, especially for ballot initiatives and elections, um, usually there's a first phase, which is IDing, and you're basically trying to score people on a scale of like one to five or one to 10, sort of like you actually started your conversation out with. But um, in a Wait, traditional- something I forgot, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, hop in. Um, after all that shit I just described, um, we would end the conversation by like being like, okay, now after we've talked on a scale from zero to 10, how do you see Oh, so you circle back yeah. around. Yeah, and we can we like we can measure movement. Right. Very cool. Yeah, so, and I want to ask you more about what people whether people actually changed afterwards. But you know, so the the traditional model is you ID people, and traditionally, if you identify someone who is opposed to your issue anywhere, like you know, one to two on a five scale or one to four or something, then you're going to ignore them forever. You don't talk to them. You leave them alone. Um, and you move on. And if you identify someone who supports your issue or your candidate, you also write them down and you ignore them until it gets to get out the vote time. And then you try and get them to go to the, uh, the voting polls, but you don't talk to them anymore. And the whole goal of the IDing phase is to identify undecided people. And then you spend the entire rest of the campaign up until it comes time to vote, trying to persuade the uh, the undecideds, right? Um, which you do by bringing in your talking points and your frequently asked questions. So you have like a, yeah, like a list of things that you lecture them on to convince them that you're right and to like push them off the fence. Um, but you don't have a human conversation where you say, just like you were saying, you know, well, why do you believe the way or why are you undecided? Which could be another question, you know, um, what are your feelings about this? Um, a real human-to-human -human conversation that might take some time because you can't have a, a very quick... And this is the other thing, obviously, if you're canvassing on a campaign, they want you to hit a lot of doors in a certain amount of time. They'll actually assign you a certain amount of turf. They'll mm -hmm. be like, here's your turf. You have to cover all this area. And it creates kind of a pressure to, to move quickly, right? To hit all these doors in a certain amount of time and... So that's like the traditional model that it turns out doesn't work. <laughs> um, especially, and I think especially this came out of, you know, I think part of the reason this came out of like California and the LGBTQ community is because it might be that you don't have enough people initially back then when that ballot initiative passed who were in the support column where you could just ID supporters and, you know, like, okay, now we'll just turn out our supporters at election time. You might actually have to win people over who are not in the undecided column, who are in the anti-column. Um, and that requires a whole different type of organizing. And it's it's really cool to hear the kind of step-by-step -step, uh, process that they had you go through there. So do you, um, did you feel like, I mean, yeah, getting down to the, did, did people's numbers change over the course of that conversation? Sometimes. Um, It happened, it would, it would happen. Um, it was a, you know, well-designed evidence-based conversation um, that like did work sometimes. Um, I, let me, let me lay down the anecdote of like my favorite conversation I ever had with a voter in phone bank. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. All right, you know, I call her, she picks up, I'm like, hi. You know, I'm with this um, Freedom for All Massachusetts, transgender equality, 
right off the bat, she's like, oh, I don't agree with transgender. It's like, all right, well, uh, we can work with this. Um, <laughs> um, so I asked her a little bit more about it. Um, she ended up telling me that she is the mom of a, of like this boy, like this disa um, disabled child who gets bullied really like ruthlessly at his elementary school and how much she loves him and how she'd like do anything for him. And, um, you know, sort of that, that like loving protective instinct sort of got triggered in her when like we started talking about it. Um, and so I was able to bring it around to like, you know, um, trans people aren't just like random dudes who dress up like that's your kid, bro. Um, or that could be your kid, bro. Um, and being able to be like, yeah, you know, I was a young person. I'm trans. Uh, I was a young person not that long ago. It was very difficult um, having, you know, like structural support from like the law and from my parents or whatever, whatever. Um, that makes a huge life and difference, you know, life and death is difference for people. And she, and then like, once we were, I was able to like reframe it in those terms, she was like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. No, this makes sense. Like I'm a likely supporter now. Wow. <laughs> um, That's incredible. But we never would have got there if I hadn't asked the right questions and gotten her opening up about her family. Um, and, and I was like almost like kind of tearing up at the end because I was like, wow, damn, like she like really, really loves her kid. Like this is an amazing person who just like hasn't been challenged hmm. in the right ways in her beliefs. Um, that is such a sweet reaction to someone who began the conversation denying your humanity, right? Like, and you, by the end of it, yeah. you're like, this person is actually a good person who, yeah. I, don't know. I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's, that's, that's about you and your capacity for being, um, I think, for love. Uh, um, I oh, think that's <laughs> um, yeah, I like, I think, um, just like temperamentally, I kind of, try to see people with empathy even or i mean when they like allow for it sometimes it's like oh you just you're just a fucking terrible person like, like, like <laughs> um but but um i think i'm like i'm good at like or temperamentally i tend to have that kind of empathy response um, i might have it too much in some cases, in some situations, mm -hmm. um, but like for another, if another person, trans person, you know, heard that, they're just like, "Oh, like go fuck yourself, ma'am." Um, you know, that's also extremely valid. Um, so it's you know, it's hard to say. I'm not trying to be like, "Oh, like reactionaries, like they're just like us. They're like," <laughs> but also, you know, it's got to be like some complexity and some like, you know, yeah. The, we some of sometimes we get like raised in fucked up environments that teach us terrible things. Um, it sits in that complexity. Do you think that temperament that we were talking about? Do you think that's necessary to do deep canvassing? Do you think anyone can be trained on it, or do you think you have to start out with a kind of uh, I don't know, 
with that kind of openness to uh, to dealing with folks who are really have shit politics. <laughs> One thing that Yes on Three taught me is that these sort of soft social skills that people think of, oh, you have here, you don't, like, you know, charisma, um, confidence, um, they actually can be taught. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, you know, from this campaign, I went from being some, like, like, hermit cartoonist who never did any political action or never talked to anyone and just saw myself as a sort of, like, like alienated like college student slash like would be grad student eventually like um you know the concerned but powerless um and like wasn't af i was afraid to talk to anyone my first canvas my um my canvas like my turf buddy that's another thing they did like gave everyone turf buddies so that first, like people had the same geographic turf oh that's good yeah outside of the street one person would do the even um and the the canvas length was time bound rather than number of doors bound so speaking to the stuff you were talking about then about the traditional model it's like subtle ways that it like pushes back on and improves upon that um it's like the big stuff and also the subtle stuff in any case um yeah my turf buddy had to basically do my first couple doors for me i was petrified <laughs> um but like um, they built me up to the point that I was able to be like full-time staff on that campaign for the last like two and a half months or so, and it apparently did a good job. Um, so I think any, you, it's, I'm sure that this um, comes easier to some people than others, and that sort of setting aside one's own personal dignity and opinions in a conversation comes more naturally to some people than others. I wouldn't be like, oh, you can't deep canvas. Mm -hmm. that, <laughs> that that seems kind of silly to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do feel sometimes like, um, you know, I, I think there are versions of the deep canvassing training in lots of other areas of life. Like I, there have versions for like the business world, they have versions for like couples therapy, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's basically like, how do you talk to someone actually care about what they say, hear what they say, reflect it back to them. Um, and then share your own story in, in a, in a meaningful way, you know, not like a, let's, uh, let's spar with facts and data with each other, which can also happen in relationships, but is actually like, well, what do you want? And wh what are the values that are kind of behind your feelings on this? Um, so it, it's like, it, it turns out not everyone is a natural, good, just human communicator. I think it might just be good human communication that deep canvassing is like teaching us on the doors, um, in every aspect of life. Um, and when Lizzie, when you were describing just kind of your entry to the, to the movement also, I was, I was kind of struck by, you know, that hour long training that you talked about. It sounded like not just a training, but actually kind of community building. Yeah. Um, and that's not, you could do that with or without deep canvassing, but it's also something I feel like a lot of campaigns skip over. Um, yes, it's like, it's terrible. This yeah. is something I have a lot of strong feelings about. 
Yeah. Um, I'm like sometimes like um, the, yeah, the incentives in um, um, I'm going to, you know, call it, I'm going to say, you know, Democratic Party campaigns um, is to treat people like, like things. Um, and I think that's both ineffective. Like assets, campaign yeah. assets. <laughs> yeah, I think that's both ineffective and evil. Yeah, it is evil, right? Like we don't, we don't want to be replicating the model of our opponents, right? Like we don't, the way to win this is not to be better bad bosses than they are, right? Like uh, <laughs> um, yeah. want to be treating people who work with us or who work for us as, you know, cogs in the wheel. That seems good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like the way that Yes on 3 extended like trained staff rigorously and um, to extend that same sort of curiosity and care and empathy to volunteers that they came in and trained volunteer leaders very rigorously to extend that same curiosity, that same kindness at all. I think that all feeds into like a positive culture for deep canvassing like it wasn't just being effective at training people on the conversation it was like sort of creating a whole context a whole uh milieu <laughs> that, that fostered like curiosity and connection and empathy and values and sharing power and all that all that jazz yeah one thing i wanted to maybe i'll ask jillian maybe i'll ask you this question um so I think I wanted to bring this back around to kind of Medicare for all work. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, deep canvassing has been kind of pioneered by the activist communities that are affected deeply by interpersonal bias, like especially the immigrant communities and uh, LGBTQ communities. Um, Medicare for all is a little bit of a different world. Um, you're not going to be like profiled as a Medicare for all supporter. Um, but um, I mean, <laughs> but like you know, you know, as we were kind of saying, this is Lydia really just look at someone who's been profiled as a right. I don't know. Stamp it on the forehead. Yeah, but. no, I was. I I'd be like um, last year, this past year, I was um, managing a campaign for Somerville City Council for a DSA candidate, and um, people were like, "You're the reason we have Donald Trump," and I'm like, and they'd be like. <laughs> Okay. Becca, Becca, my candidate, did you even vote for Hillary Clinton? Becca, did you even vote for Joe Biden? And like, uh, you know, for that shit. Um, so, so, so it's democratic centrist bias. Um, <laughs> I have been profiled both as a transsexual and as a Medicare for all supporter. <laughs> all right. Well, you can wear that as a badge of honor. Um, and <laughs> so, Jillian, I mean, I, I guess I, this is just going to say that the it might look a little bit different on the doors doing Medicare for all deep canvassing. Um, but how do you how would you see Jillian kind of the and it, it, and people have been doing deep canvassing for Medicare for all, including mm -hmm. DSA, including National Nurses United. Uh, we almost got a campaign staffer from um, uh, Ilhan Omar's office, uh, the, the congressional rep in Minnesota, who has apparently been doing with her staff, campaign staff, uh, Medicare for All canvassing in her district. I mean, what would be kind of some similarities or differences, do you think, in, in terms of Medicare for All, Jillian? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the differences are definitely what you put out, right? That it's like, um, um, that really, uh, you know, um, I, 
I'm not likely to be profiled as a Medicare for all supporter. Um, I look like a bougie middle-class cis lady. Um, but regardless, um, I think, you know, some of the similarities that are really important are, you know, well, you know, as, as, uh, as you know, right, <clears throat> people are not likely to be persuaded by facts on healthcare arguments, right? right. Um, and in fact, uh, I think it was you who told me this, Ben, that people are actually less likely to be persuaded by you when you introduce facts, even after you've actually told a personal story or made a personal connection. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, I like to call that my data on why not to use data uh, when talking about Medicare for All. Yeah, there's a bunch of studies showing that like, um, this was they were they were testing uh, what happens when you're try asking people to support anti-hunger uh, movements, um, and they asked people to like make a donation towards an anti-hunger uh, organization, but they did it three different ways. In one way, they told uh, the individual story of a child who is uh, suffering from hunger. Another one, they gave data on how many children are suffering from hunger who would be helped by their donation. Um, and then the third one, they did both. They told one personal story and they added the data in. And the personal story alone was the one that did uh, far, far better. Uh, people gave about half as much to the data story. And actually the story plus the data one also didn't do that much better than just data, which I know every a lot of people who love their policy, love their data, want to like throw it in there after they've told their personal healthcare story. But it turns out it just kind of puts people in a framework, uh, non-moral framework of thinking about the policy um, in a wonky way. So, and but. I think, I, yeah, I think like ultimately that's the answer, right? Is that the the similarity is that we're trying to agitate people based on their very fundamental moral values, right? Um, you know, is healthcare right or isn't it? Are trans people? Um, worthy of dignity and respect, or aren't they, right? These are moral questions. Um, and uh, I think that agitating people around morality is something that you can't do online. And I think that that is like kind of one of the major takeaways. I think a lot of traditional campaigns really re rely on their campaign ads to do the campaigning for them, um, right? They do, they ask those kind of questions of people, um, right, over, over TV. And that's bullshit. It doesn't particularly work because uh, people don't like to be talked at. Um, and, uh, you know, people need to be able to interact. But then in the spaces where we do interact with people, they tend to be online. Um, it's way easier to just trash someone than it is mm. to reach out and have a conversation with them online. Um, and honestly, I think that it's really made us all sort of um, wusses when it comes to having in-person conversations. Um, I think that actually a lot of people who feel pretty brave behind the, you know, behind a keyboard, right, um, they really would, would panic if they were forced to actually talk about their ideas in person with someone. And so, um, yeah, I like deep canvassing. <laughs> so what you're saying is the opposite of deep canvassing is not traditional canvassing, it's Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes, the opposite yeah. of canvassing is Twitter. And as Lizzie was describing her experience with deep canvassing, I was also thinking like, I I can't, I don't think it's a, a tactic that corporations could use even if they wanted to, right? I mean, which means it's probably a pretty good grassroots tactic. <laughs> it, it, it couldn't be weaponized against us because you'd need a real human who really cares and values what these fucking corporations are trying to destroy, right? Um, like, you know, 
the healthcare corporation, you know, we go up against a lot of moneyed interests like pharma and hospitals and dentists. Most recently, I didn't realize dentists were high up on my list of enemies, but apparently they are now. Um, <laughs> Fuck them. Right. Those bastards. Yeah. But there is, you know, I think we have, we, we have an advantage in the Medicare for All movement, especially when it comes to deep canvassing, which is that I, I do think almost no one likes the healthcare system as it is now, even very, very right wing people, unless they're like, unless their income is like really coming from the healthcare system and they have a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Almost everyone is like screwed over by the healthcare system or knows someone or is close to someone who has been screwed over by the healthcare system. So doing, uh, you know, a, a, a door, door canvassing where you're asking people their experiences with the healthcare system, um, you're probably going to get a story and people are probably going to have deep feelings about it. Um, and I don't think anyone, I think we also share the same enemies. I mean, does anyone really love pharma or really love health insurance companies and executives? I mean, I don't think there's a deep reservoir of love for, <laughs> for healthcare corporations either. So it's, it is easy to kind of go in and share a lot, even if you don't haven't arrived at sharing the political solution yet, you're going to share a lot in terms of values about like what's broken and what's not okay. And maybe who the villain is. Um, so I, I'm, I, we haven't, I have not participated. I don't think in a deep canvassing campaign with Medicare for all yet, but this is something we really want to start doing more of as society opens up with COVID a little bit. So <laughs> And as usual, like, you know, L LGBTQ activists, particularly trans activists, are really leading the way. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, it's because of folks on the ground like you, Lizzie, um, who are willing to, you know, put yourself in a really vulnerable position um, in order to get the job done. Um, and I think we all thank you for that, even though it seems like difficult sometimes. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well we're probably gonna ask i mean you know when we when it gets to the point of actually developing some deep canvassing campaign tools we're gonna have to recircle back with you and and maybe some of the folks who trained you and we can um we're gonna have to get some help to really uh use this canvas effectively um and i did want to even though we don't have a sort of a deep canvassing training module yet for medicare for all activists we do have a telling your healthcare story training at healthcare now which is like kind of a piece of the puzzle uh you really need to have your your story to be able to do deep canvassing so uh, folks who want to check that out you can go to the, our website healthcarenow.org and um, under education you can find the single payer trainings and one of those is telling your healthcare story and you can kind of walk through it on your own or you can just email us and we'll we'll do a, a quick telling your healthcare story training with you. Um, I also want to just thank one more time, Lizzie, thank you so much for joining us and um, oh, giving can. us the ground view. Yes. Before we go, can I just really quick um, yes. ask Lizzie, Lizzie, can you just tell the story really quick of how we met? Do you remember? You were like hanging out by the tea station and our interns were doing a canvas and they asked you to sign a petition and you got to talking and within like five minutes you had come back to our office with the interns and you and they were like this is our new friend and she wants to intern here too and we were like <laughs> oh, okay great <laughs> sorry 
just another sales pitch for the human in-person conversation. And it can bring pretty amazing people into your life and into our movement. You were deep canvassed yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Victim of deep canvassing. Sorry, um, sorry about no, that. No worries. <laughs> so I just want to close by thanking our podcast team, um, our volunteer podcast team, our podcast manager is Sarah Sang, and Sarah is leaving us because she has a new job and doesn't have the bandwidth anymore to do it. But thank you so much, Sarah, for all for all of your help um, running our podcast. Um, our researcher for this episode was Sophia Simeon. This is her first episode that she researched. Amazing job, Sophia. And then our show notes writer was Jerry Katz. So we will see you all in a couple of weeks. Bye, y'all. Ciao, folks. Stay safe. Bye, and stay everyone. Home.